Amen. If you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 3. We'll be beginning with verse number 1 uh, this morning. When I was a younger adult, we took our, uh, we took our church youth on a, uh, on a mission trip out to Montana. And uh, we were out there for, uh, for a couple of days. It seemed like we traveled longer than we were there. But anyway, uh, on the way back, we decided, uh, you know, since we're out this way, we would go through uh, Yellowstone Park. You know, and uh, go see the uh, go see the sights there in, uh, in Yellowstone, and so we really weren't there for a visit. You know, we just wanted to see the sights while we were out there. And uh, it was kind of later on in the morning, about lunchtime, when we got through. And we got to the gate and said, "Now look, you've got till such and such time to uh, to get out on the other side of the gate, or you're going to get locked in here for the night." So we took upon the uh, express tour of Yellowstone Park. And so uh, our van driver, our bus driver, heard that, buddy, and he just uh, he just hit the gas, and we were flying through. I, I guess I reckon it was some of Jerry's people who were driving us, because we were going through there, buddy. We was looking out the window, you know. There's an elk, you know. There's a deer, there's a bear, you know. Just flying right by it, you know. You see a yogi and boo boo flying through the air with a picnic basket. I mean, we were just flying through there, but there was one place we were definitely going to stop. We were going to stop and we were going to see Old Faithful. Because everybody wants to see Old Faithful. Everybody's heard about Old Faithful. You know, that great geyser, you know, that spouts out, you know, uh, every hour. And we wanted to see what was so spectacular and what was so great about Old Faithful. You know, you always see like the great pictures and it just looks like this, you know, mighty rushing, gushing thing out that we want to see. So we, uh, we pull up the van, you squeal on the brakes, you know, because we've been going 200 miles an hour. And uh, so we all get out, and we go like to this area. And there's people from all over the world. You know, there's Germans, there's Russians, there's Asians, there's Africans. There's people from all over the place. And they are there to see Old Faithful. And I get there to the rail, and I look over, buddy, and it's just like this little mud puddle. And I'm like, what in the world? I said, well, maybe it's just, uh, you know, uh, that's just what you could see there on the surface. You know, when it, when it hits time, you know, we're going to see just this massive volcano of water coming out of there. And so anyway, we sit there for a while. And, you know, it's so faithful, buddy. They can just like ring a bell or make the sign, hey, oh, faithful, it's about to come. And so, buddy, we're sitting, we're waiting. Everybody's, you know, got their cameras and they got their camcorders ready. You know, and they're ready to do this thing. And all of a sudden, here comes old people. Just this little thing out of the ground. And I was like, man, I cannot believe that anybody would drive all over the world to come see this thing. And to me, in my mind, it really wasn't worth the trip. And as a matter of fact, if I would came all the way out here, just to see this little thing, I'd be pretty disappointed. You know, uh, we learned today, or we encountered today in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 3. We encountered the name, uh, a man by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a fiery preacher, and he was a fiery prophet. And everybody came from all around to hear John preach, to hear what he had to say. And every time somebody would come hear John preach, they would go back to town and say, hey, you got to come all the way out here in the desert, all the way out by this Jordan River. you got to see this guy. you got to hear this guy. And so this morning we're going to take a look at these verses. 
And we're going to see what was so great about John the Baptist. What was so great? What would be so worth going out in the middle of the desert to see? And what we're really going to see, it was it wasn't really about coming to see John, but it was coming to hear what he had to say because he had in his heart and his message the very words that would lead people to salvation. So let's read in the book of Luke chapter 3. Let's begin with verse number 1. It says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor over Judah, and Herod being tetrarch over Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch over the, uh, over the region of Eterea, and Tercurius and Lacernius tetrarch over Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all of the regions around the Jordan, proclaiming and baptizing of repentance for the, for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the word of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every field, and every mountain and every hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become uh, level ways, and the flesh and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And he said, therefore, to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping and repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. If I tell you, God is able to, out of these stones, to raise up children uh, of Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear uh, good fruit, it is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is uh, to share with him who has none, and whoever has food to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers were asking him, "Uh, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone uh, by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His whittling fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but to the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, and whom had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added to this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we just come to your word, and Lord, as we just spend a few more time, a few minutes this morning, Lord, and we see the work of John. 
Lord, we see that he was popular and many people came to him. And Lord, it wasn't through tricks. Lord, it wasn't through any type of show. It wasn't through anything all that spectacular. But whether it was the simple truth, the simple uh, message, Lord, that you would need to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. And Lord, that we realize that just in John's day, that very simple message is just as powerful as it today. And so, Lord, as we think on these verses, may we commit our hearts and our lives to sharing this simple message to those who are around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first thing we see about John in these verses is we see that he had a mission. We see that he had a mission. In these first three verses, uh, Luke very historically and very detailed lays out the rulers. He rules out the, the heavy players that are going to be a part of Jesus' ministry. And it's interesting that how all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, both count the ministry of John as the beginning of the gospel because it was in John that was our, in the person of John, the message was beginning to be proclaimed that salvation comes through salvation in Jesus. And so even though that Jesus had not begun his public ministry yet, but now the gospel is going forth is because now it was be, being proclaimed that salvation comes from the person of Jesus. And so Luke begins out laying out who are going to be the players that are going to be part of Jesus' ministry during this time of history. And so he was telling us that, that John's message, that John's mission had a time. And so here were the players, and you see all the people that we were encounter in Jesus' time of ministry. We see Pilate, we see the emperor, we see Herod the Tetrarch, and we see Philip. And these are going to be the rulers. These were going to be the people who were going to give Jesus his trouble in ministry, who were going to give John his trouble in ministry. And then he added to the, uh, the high priest, and they mentioned too Ananias and Caiaphas. Now, Caiaphas was actually the high priest at the time, and Ananias had served as high priest through about A.D. 16. But being the high priest was kind of like being the president, that even when you were out of office, while you were still living, you were sort of referred to as a high priest, just as we would recognize a former president uh, like, a, like a Bush or a like a Trump or a Obama and anything, we would refer to them as president or as former president. We would still give them that, that title. We would still give them that honor. And Ananias still had a great deal of pull there with the people and there with the religious rulers. And so we know of the trouble that were going to be caused in that situation. And so here in his mission, Luke was laying out the people and the government officials who were going to be the people of his opposition. He was laying out the time. He was laying out the context to which John was preaching in. And then he also laid out the place. In verse 4, it says that he was going out. Uh, I, mean, um, I mean, in verse 3, it says, And he went out into all the regions around Judea, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sin. So it had a place. He was around the Jordan River. He was around water. 
And if you're a person that's preaching a ministry of baptism, then you need to be around water. And that's where he was. And he was there preaching a simple message. He was preaching a message of baptism for repentance, for the forgiveness or for the remissions of your sin. And when he talks about our repentance, a lot of times when we think about repentance, we think about being sorrowful. We think about being sad for what we're done. But what repentance really means is that we come into a point where we change our minds about things. Now, it's hard for us to change our minds about things, especially if you are a, a man that finds the trouble to change your ways. And I know for women, it's hard to admit when you're wrong, but that's what it really comes to if we want to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, is that we have to confess that we are wrong. We have to change our minds. We have to come to a point to say, hey, the way I was doing, the way that I was thinking was wrong, and I need to make some changes. But also this sense of repentance was talking about the renewing that was going to come from Jesus Christ. As much as I want to change my mind, as much as I want to change myself, I can't change myself. I need to be made new. I need someone to change me. So it came with the message of repentance. And it's coming from the forgiveness of sins. We all need to realize that we are sinners we all need to realize that we come short of the glory of God. But in him saying there needs to be a forgiveness of sins, it points to a time into which we will give an account for our sins. So John's message was simple, but it was very, very loaded. And so he comes with a commission. He comes with this mission. He came at a certain time, and he came with a certain, uh, at a certain uh, place. And he came on the occasion with an objective that was laid out in Scripture a long, long time ago. And here Luke quotes to us from the book of Isaiah. Listen to what he says that the objective was in verse number, uh, in, uh, in verse number 5. It says, In the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight, and every valley shall be lifted, and every mountain shall be laid low, and uh, every crooked shall become straight, and every love places become level ways, and all flesh shall see God. So he was to flatten the hill and straighten the curve. And I tell you, I just can't read these verses in my Bible without my mind coming to the Dukes of Hazard theme. I don't know about y'all. But anyway, what he is saying is that you were to flatten the hills, that you were to make the way straight. And so what he was saying is that God says, I have a simple message for you, and I want you to make it easy. I want you to make it clear. I want you to make it plain how it is that you can receive Jesus Christ. And a lot of times through history, when a, uh, a famous emperor or a famous ruler would come into a town, a lot of times they would actually go through the trouble of actually working on the roads and making them straight to straighten out those curves and to take out some of the lumps. If they were to do that here in Simpson County, buddy, it'd take them 10 years to get that all done. But anyway, because the purpose is, is that when that emperor, when that ruler was coming, they want that road to be straight so they could very quickly and very easily get to where they need to go. And what 
what the scripture is saying that John's objective was is that he was to make the gospel message clear where people can understand it, where people aren't confused about it, for they would know for uncertain terms how it is that you come to salvation. And how you come to salvation is very simple by accepting and admitting that you're a sinner and accepting the free gift of grace that comes through Jesus Christ. It's that easy. A lot of times we get up here and we want to make it complicated. A lot of people want to get up when they want to say there's other ways. A lot of people want to add laws and add restrictions. They want to add this. But the scripture says, John, I want you to go down there and I want you to preach this message and I want you to make it plain. You know, Jesus has the same message for us is that he wants us to go out in the current contexts that we find ourselves in with the current rulers in the uh, the current historical situation that we find him and that we share this very simple message and that we make it plain and we make it clear how people ought to receive salvation. So that was his mission. But let's look at what his message was. Buddy, and look how old John starts it off, buddy. He says, and um, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized to him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You brood of vipers. What did he call them? He called them a bunch of snakes. And why did he call them a bunch of snakes? Because the way that they were living and the way that they thought and the messages that they were preaching and the message that they thought were deadly. Were deadly. And he wanted the people to understand what baptism and what it was they were getting into them. And that's when he said in that, the last part of that verse, who warns you to flee from the destruction to come? In other words, who let you on to the thinking that just by being baptized, that just by being soaked in this water could somehow save you? He wanted them to understand clearly what this baptism really meant. And you can just think about us when we do a baptism, buddy. We're all excited, and we want to get them in the water, and we want to get them down, and we want to hold them down till all the sin is gone. And it's a time of excitement. But could you just imagine just looking them straight in the eyes and saying, look, you brood of vipers, I need you to understand what it is this baptism is all about. Because we, just like John, want to make it clear that just simply being baptized doesn't get you saved. Just being baptized doesn't mean anything if there's nothing to support it. If you don't have a relationship, if you don't have a confession of Jesus Christ, and you go there and get baptized, you go into that water, a dry center, and come out of that water, a wet center. But what the Scripture says to us and what Jesus wants us to know is there has to be some type of meaning in the baptism. Just like if you go... uh, If you go to school and they'll hand out these diplomas and they hand out these degrees, if you were like me or maybe some of you others here and just slept through that class and didn't learn a thing and the teacher just passed you on so they wouldn't have to deal with you next year, that degree, that diploma doesn't mean anything. 
It only means something if there's substance, if there's meaning, if there's education, if there's experience, if there's knowledge that is represented in that degree. Otherwise, it's just a piece of paper. And so what he said, I want you to know that salvation and the baptism doesn't mean much. You see, baptism was very popular back then. In the Old Testament, there's all these types of washings. And it was in uh, washing in, uh, with water was always a symbol of a cleansing of the heart. It was a cleansing or, or for, uh, for forgiveness of something that you've done. It was a way to make you new. It was simply a symbol. So baptism was very popular back then. And there was a group of, uh, of crazy folks out, down there by the Dead Sea in a place called Qumran. And they were big on baptism. And they were preaching reform and they would go out there and they'd live as monks and people would go out there and they would baptize them. So baptism was a big deal and everybody was going to be baptized and being baptized was a popular thing. And you may remember a time in Bible school when everybody was being baptized and everybody wanted to be baptized. Or you may remember a time in revival where everybody was being baptized so you wanted to be baptized because baptism was the popular thing to do. And what John wants you to understand is that it doesn't mean anything if there's no substance behind it. And so what he's saying to you is that you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you say that you have changed your mind, which is what repentance means, then you need to show me that you have changed your mind. If you come in here and you say that you have changed your mind, and you are baptized, and you go out and live the way the same way that you did before, then obviously you have not changed your mind. And he said that you are to bear fruit. There is something that should be changing in your life if you've truly been repented. And so if you come through this waters, you're coming saying that I'm repenting of the way that I was living and committing my heart to live in a different way. And so he says, look, you've got, got to bear fruit. And the next thing he told him in his message, don't think, don't rely, don't rely on your social standing. Don't rely on your church membership. Don't thinking just because you're a Jew means you're going to go to heaven. Don't be think because you're in this church, you're okay with God. Don't think just because you could quote some Bible verses, you are okay with God. And he would tell them, just because you think you have an ethnic heritage, that you think you're one of God's people. But you have to make your own personal commitment. You have to make your own, you have to make your own decision to follow him. He said, Don't thank you just because you have that status. Don't think because you are raised in the church that you were had. He said, because out of these rocks that I can uh, form children of, of Abraham, out of this rocks I can build up people to come to this church. And listen to what he says, that even now, even now, the axe is laid to the root. And it was a message that we are to hear. But more specifically, it was a message for the Jewish people to hear those that thought because of their religious heritage. They were people of God. But he says, now I'm putting the axe to the root. And some of you are going to be taken out. And that's what the ministry of Jesus revealed, is that there were some people who ethnically were Jews, 
but who are not followers of God. And some of those people were going to be cast out. And by the end of Jesus' ministry, in the beginning of the church in 70 AD, the temple is going to be gone. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, all that's going to be gone. And the only thing that's going to be left is the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of the Jews, some of the people who thought they were right with God because of who they were, were left behind. And there's a lot of people in our churches today that think that they're because they're here are thinking because their church is awesome that they're right with God, but they have never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. And so one day, the axe is going to be at the root, and it's going to separate those people out. And so people, people were shocked. People were shocked at what John said. And so it led them to a question in chapter uh, and. Um, Verse number 15, uh, I mean, uh, verse number, uh, in uh, verse number 10, listen to what he said, and the crowds asked him, what shall we do? People thought they knew what it meant to be religious. People thought they knew what baptism meant. But he asked the question, but the crowd asked the question, after John turned it on his head, that we should all ask us believers, and that is this, what should we do? What should we do? How should I live now that I have committed my heart to this repentance? Now that I have committed my heart to Christ, how should I live? What should I do? What should my life be like? And he answered them in two ways. First of all, he answered them in a very general sense. Listen to what he says. He said in verse 11, he said, uh, and answered them, whoever has two tunics uh, is to share with those who have none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. And so he shared a very general applicable thing that could help us in our life to develop. He said, first of all, if one of you has two tunics, because, you know, you saw one on sale and you just had to have another one, you know, it was buy one, get one free, so might as well get another one. So how about instead of uh, putting that second tu tunic on Facebook and selling it so you can go buy another tunic that you don't need, why don't you give it to somebody who doesn't have one? Why don't you share? Why don't you give out of the excess of what you have? In the same way with food. If you have an excess of food, why don't you share with somebody who doesn't have anything? It's a simple way that he gave them to bear fruit. Notice he didn't tell them, hey, what you need to do is you need to go out in the wilderness just like me and be a preacher. He didn't tell them, like, look, you just need to be a monk and you just need to live out here in the desert away from everybody. He didn't tell them to go away some far land and be a uh, missionary. But he gave them a very, very general applicable thing that each and every one of us could live in our lives wherever we were. Then he answered it specifically to specific people. So some tax collectors would came to them. They said, well, what should we do? And he tells them not to collect any more than what you should. Because a lot of these tax collectors weren't necessarily income tax collectors, but they were people who were like under the tollways of the borders or were in charge of the terrorists and the things like that. And they would use this as an opportunity to extort money. One time we went to, uh, we went to Mexico 
And we were there at the immigration places where we had to turn in all our paperwork and register all our vehicles and things like this. And we were there with these officials that were behind there. You know, they're coming around us with machine guns and things like that. And they just gave us this run around, and they just kept asking questions, asking questions, and delaying and delaying and delaying. And then finally, you get what they really wanted. If you just flip them a 20 or 40, they would just let you go. And that's what the Scripture tells about that, is that they had an opportunity in their job to extort money from people, to get a little extra from themselves. And they would do it. And Jesus would say that's the same. I mean, John would say that's the same way with the tax collectors and the toll people. That's what they did. And then he went on to those who were soldiers. Some of the soldiers were coming up and being baptized. And they were like, what do we do? And they said, don't take any people's money by force or by extortion or a force, force accusation. Saying, don't abuse your power, but be content with your wages. John teaches us something very important. There is an environment of sin that goes along with every occupation. And it doesn't matter if you're a school teacher. It doesn't matter if you're a tax collector. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher or anything like that. Every, every occupation has kind of an environment. It has a nature of sin. And there's things that are to be done to abuse that power from oneself that you can gain benefit. And a lot of times in our world, there's almost an expectation that you would do that, that you would swindle people, that you would cheat people. You think about how builders uh, extort people and charge extra for things. But what the Lord says, you know what, if you really want to do something, if you really want to do something great in the world that shows your life has changed, don't be a part of what the world's doing. Don't be a part of that abuse of power. Don't be a part of that extortion, but rather just be content with what God has blessed you with. Notice the simple ways, the everyday ways that God gives us that we can live out our lives for Christ. And his message was, if you've been baptized, then you're to live your life anew. But the most important part of his message was to let, him, let them know that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. Listen to what he says. Uh, again, in um, you know, verse number 15, it says, And all the people were, were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whom sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and with fire. You know, it's a humbling thing for me to know as a pastor that there are some things that I can't do for you. I can pray for you, and I can just do as much as I can. But there's only some things, the most important things, only Christ can do. And that's what John wants it to make it think. Even why people were wanting to lift them up, even why people were wanting to make him and call him the Messiah, John wanted them to know that it wasn't about me. But he said that one was coming. And look how he refers to himself. He gets his relationship with Jesus right. He said, one whose sandal I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie. He knew where Jesus was. And he knew how much lower that he was. 
but he also know the work that Jesus would do, that he would do something that we cannot do on our own and that nothing can do before us. He said that he will come and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Notice the two-prong reaction that you have to the coming of Jesus Christ. To some, it will bring salvation in the coming of the Holy Spirit, but for some, it'll bring the judgment of fire. How much more straight, flat, and plain can you get than that? But what's our response to Jesus? Are we receiving that Jesus that brings us the person of the Holy Spirit? Or are we bringing, are we, are we receiving the Jesus Christ who brings the judgment of fire? Because the last part of his message was a warning about the coming of the judgment. Listen to what he says in verse number 17. It says, as a willing fork in his hand to clear out of the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into, uh, into the barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to sort the people out. And it's going to be straight and it's going to be plain because a lot of times we think now there's so many religions in so many ways and there's so many paths. But what the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us is that there's only two ways. There's only two sides. There's the, there's the wheat and there's the chaff and Jesus has come to sort between the two. And so you have a decision in your heart, in your mind. Who is it you're going to be? Are you going to be the wheat Are you going to be the shaft? What a powerful message John brings to the people. What a clear message. And you think about all the tactics, and you think about all the gimmicks we try to bring people into this church, but how powerful and transformative John's message was. It was so attractive. It was so powerful that people went out into the middle of the desert They went out of their way to hear it. Because so many people, even as we try to relate and be like the world, so many people in the world today are saying, you know what, I'm tired of the world. The world ain't done nothing but left me broke and heartbreak. I'm looking for something different. I'm looking for something beyond the world. I'm looking for something new. And we find that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's not spend so much time relating and blending in and forget that we have the true, powerful, unique message that John preached to the people and that we have as well. But also, not only do we see the message, I mean the the mission, not only do we see John's message, we also get a glimpse of John the man. Look at verse number 18. And so with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him uh, by her, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for, all, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, and to this to them he added, he locked up John in prison. Herod took his brother's wife, who was actually in some way uh, his niece as well, 
And everybody all around was so outraged about what Herod had done. But nobody said anything. But John had the courage to preach his message and to not waver, even in the face of such a powerful official. Not afraid of the consequence that came about it. He didn't waver him. And so not only did he have a great mission, not only did he have a great message, but the integrity of his heart was so strong that he didn't let the powers of the world or the temptations of the world or the punishments of the world waver him from what he was called to do. But he faced it with boldness and with strength. And sometimes that's where we fall short. We all understand the message, that I mean the, the mission that God has put us on. And what we receive through the Great Commission that we are to go out and to preach the gospel and to make disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we understand that message but so, light, so much. There's lacking in the man. There's lacking in our hearts. There's lacking in our courage. We so want to be a part of the world. We so want to be accepted. We so fear their punishment that we step away for what Christ has called us to do. I challenge us this morning to realize the power, the power of the message that we have through Jesus Christ and that we strengthen our heart to deliver it and to share it plainly so everybody can see that clear path to salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord, that you've given us Lord, for the time that we have just to come in your word. Lord, but during this time of invitation, we search our hearts. Lord, and we gather courage from John that he approached his commission and he accepted it. And he delivered his message plainly and clearly. And that he had the courage to do it, even in the face of opposition. Lord, strengthen our hearts this morning that we will follow you and that we will confess you wherever we go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and-